Amen. Well, thank you again for joining in with us this morning. I know it's been a difficult week in uh, many of our lives. Um, If you live in this area, there's been challenges uh, to do with smoke and fire and all sorts of things. But thank you for for making the effort for pitching in. This morning, I want us to really think about some very fundamental questions. But I want to start start with this. If you would call yourself a Christian here this morning, uh, I wonder how it was that you became a Christian, who it was that told you, about Jesus. Uh, Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a colleague. Maybe it was a youth pastor. Maybe somebody that you work with. Um, Actually, it would be really cool. Why don't you just, in the chat right now, if you've got your phone in front of you or your, your iPad, why don't you just write in who it was who helped you come to Jesus? Now, for some of us, I guess, it was probably a very sudden thing. You were going in one way in your life. You suddenly encountered the idea of Christianity and faith in Jesus. And like Paul on the road to Damascus, your life was radically transformed. You took a complete U-turn. But I guess for a lot of us, it probably was a bit of a process, a process of experiencing, watching, learning, questioning, exploring, encountering before you got to a place where you thought, oh yeah, this is something actually I want to do with the rest of my life. And when you made that decision, it was something so fantastic, so wonderful, so life changing. Well, Today, I want to think about two very, very practical and basic questions to do with what it means to know Jesus. And they're this. Should we tell other people about Jesus? And if we should tell people about Jesus, how do we tell people about Jesus? So let's get our reading for this morning, which comes from 1 Corinthians. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Thank you, Ed, for sharing that with us this morning. So the background is this. Paul's writing to a church that he's planted in Corinth. Corinth was this big, bustling port city, very multicultural, um, very multi-faith. There would have been Greek temples to Greek gods. There would have been Roman temples to Roman gods. There would have been Jewish people there. There would have been this new Christian community there as well. And within it, Paul's writing to address what it means to be free in Christ, what it means to live out the Christian story. And what Paul does is he helps us answer these two really fundamental questions about how we live out the Christian story. So, should we tell other people about Jesus? After 1,500 years here you know, in, in the U.S., well, we haven't quite had 1,500 years here, but across Europe and then into the U.S., we've had this kind of context called Christendom. And Christendom basically has been this time when Christianity was the big thing. It was the big idea. It was the big truth. But over the last years, we've seen a really radical shift where we don't live really in a Christendom space now. We live in a much more relative postmodern space where truth is relative, where people have all sorts of different ideas about God, the universe, and everything. And that makes speaking about Christianity very different than it maybe used to be. When I uh, left a business career behind and went to train for seminary, 
basically I got two responses to that. Like some people that I spoke to were like, oh my goodness, he's blatantly lost it. Like he's, he's going off to join some cult or some sect. And then other people were like, oh, isn't it nice? Like, isn't it nice that you found Jesus? You know, I found yoga and you found Jesus. Isn't it nice that we've both got something in our life? Or I found cycling and you found Jesus. Or I found the new age stuff and you found Jesus. But isn't it nice when we get that kind of good feeling about something that's big and truthful um, in our life? And of course, when you speak about Jesus in those terms, he becomes reduced down to just you know, a nice guy. One nice idea amongst, but, a, a, I can't even speak this morning, about all, one nice idea amongst all these different ideas. But the Christian faith is actually kind of like a different story to that. But if we don't change Christ, the Christian story into something more truthful, if Jesus just is a nice guy, of course, the idea of telling other people about Jesus becomes a lot more subjective. A recent study found that even inside the church, 47% of Christian millennials uh, believe that telling people about their personal beliefs with the idea of converting someone from another faith to become a Christian is actually wrong, that it can feel intolerant it can feel kind of something uh, bad to try and share our views with another person so that they might want to know Jesus. Now, Paul was in that sort of context, totally in that sort of context. And you might have expected him to have had that sort of tolerant idea to faith. But Paul says, um, actually in verse 19 of today, he says this, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everybody to win as many people as possible. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't like the word win because of all the cultural baggage that it has in evangelical Christianity over the last 50 years. But what Paul's really doing is he's addressing this idea that when we become Christians, we become free. We're not slaves to any one thing, but we have a freedom that we can use. And what Paul says is that the freedom that we're given when we become Christians is there for a purpose. And the reason that we have that freedom is so we can use the freedom we have to help other people experience the same freedom that we have had. If you read like the words of Jesus, Jesus says so incredibly strong things about who he is. Jesus says famously, you know, I, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. See how unbelievably strong and singular that statement is. And if you don't quite get it from that first bit of the statement, Jesus then goes and says, well, no one comes to the Father God except through me. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those are profound words, aren't they? They're so strong. And when the theologian C.S. Lewis was thinking about the words of Jesus and the idea that maybe Jesus is just some sort of nice guy, C.S. Lewis said this, well, the problem is, is if somebody comes to earth and they say that they are God, then really we're only presented with three options. Like the first option is maybe like that person's completely insane. C.S. Lewis says, well, maybe it's like somebody who thinks that they're a boiled egg. Because if someone says that they are God and they're not God, then they probably are completely crazy. In which case, they're definitely not a good person and we definitely shouldn't consider them to be a moral teacher. The second possibility, C.S. Lewis says, is, oh, maybe that person is actually lying, outright trying to be dishonest and deceive people. 
Well, if that's the case, then Jesus definitely shouldn't be listened to because Jesus is a really, really dangerous person. But C.S. Lewis then says, well, if those two things aren't true and the person is actually telling the truth, then the only possible third solution is that we come to the conclusion that Jesus was telling the truth, that Jesus was who he says he is, that the truth about Jesus is not a nice subjective reality. It's actually objective. It's actually true. And it actually makes a huge difference to our lives. Paul reminds us when he speaks that truth is not always subjective, that there are things that are true and matter. You know, this week, uh, we've all been battling with the fire, right? We did alpha training uh, during the week and one evening I was out and it was all kind of going really well and we were enjoying this thing. And then suddenly I got a message on my phone, oh, emergency evacuation order, be prepared to leave your house with immediate notice. So I, I drove back to my house kind of quickly. And sure enough, as I kind of got to, got to my street, which goes up to the foothills at kind of Monrovia end of Pasadena and Ar- Arcadia, there was this huge fire above my house. Like it was just roaring through the hillside. You could see it really starkly. But can you imagine that I'd kind of gone back into my house and gone, oh man, you know, the fire is true for you, but it's not true for me. You know, you do fire, I'm just going to do chilling out in my backyard. Like you, you do fire, I'm going to do nice starry sky. Of course, that would have been like completely crazy. Unfortunately, my house hasn't burned down yet and I'm really pleased about that. But all week, we've been living with the evidence of something that is real. The smoke that is in your houses and in your gardens right now is real. The fire that you can see on the hillside is real. Not everything in life is subjective. There are things that actually matter, and they are objective. And in the same way, Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, that the Christian faith is not a nice idea for some. It's a true reality which changes everything. It's not a vague philosophy. It is a life-changing reality which matters to everyone. And you know, at the heart of it is not just truth. It's the understanding. It's the understanding that our pasts can be dealt with that our pain, our suffering, all the mess that we have in our lives doesn't have to define us. It's the reality that the present that we live in now can be in partnership alongside the whole creator of the universe who walks with us through the storms of life. And it's the understanding that our futures, our eternal futures are assured. And you know, when I was a teenager and I found that reality to be true for myself, it changed everything. It changed how I see myself. It changed how I see the world around me. It's the reason that in the middle of 2020, amongst probably one of the most turbulent years that many of us have seen ever, if not certainly in a long time, I can stand and smile and say, actually, I have hope. I have trust. I can look to the future knowing that one day I'll say, oh, do you remember when it was like that? but I will look at it from the perspective of an eternal future with the creator of the universe. And that, Paul says, that is a truth that changes everything. And if it does change everything, then actually, really, it should have consequences about how we treat other people around us. When Laura and I got to LA, we didn't know anything. And nobody had told us about Yelp. You know, Yelp, basically the answer to everything about where you should go in LA. And we didn't know. So we started to ask people, hey, like, where do we go to find food? Where do we go to a coffee shop? Like, where do we, where do we um, go and eat out? 
And when you ask people that question, very quickly you find out their exciting preference, their recommendation, right? You say to someone, hey, what's your favorite coffee shop? And immediately their eyes light up because they want to tell you about the place that they found that brought them such joy and place where they go and hang out. Or they'll tell you about Trader Joe's, or they'll tell you about Trader Joe's, or they'll tell you about Trader Joe's. Or very occasionally someone will say another grocery store like Aldi, go Aldi. Almost never, they'll always tell you about Trader Joe's. Because people care passionately about the things that have made a difference to their lives. But if that is true for shops, if that's true for restaurants, if that's true for coffee shops, how much more should that be true for something that we found that brings radical difference to every layer of our life? It's okay for us to want to tell our friends about Jesus. Let me just tell you that. Despite anything you hear, it's okay to want to tell your friends about Jesus. Why? Because if it's changed your life and you love your friends and your family, then surely you'll want to share that. Surely you will want to provide a recommendation for that. In fact, if we don't tell our friends and our family about something that is so life-giving, so transformational as the kingdom of God, then maybe it begs the question, do we really love our friends? Do we really care for our friends? Paul says there's no greater joy than when we get to partner with God in the gospel and share in its blessings of helping people find faith. You know, certainly when in my life, when I've seen other people encounter Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior and see the radical transformation of their lives, it's one of the most joyful and life-giving things that I've ever experienced. So I wanna suggest, first up, totally we should tell people about Jesus. But if we should tell people about Jesus, like how do we tell people about Jesus? I mean, you might be the guy, you know, you, those people you always hear about who get on the plane and like two hours later, they've sat next to the person and they basically shared their life story. The other person shared their life story. They've done deep healing ministry with one another. The other person's become a Christian. You know, the whole life is transformed. You know those people? Like, that's not me. <laughs> Like, I wish it was me. I wish I was the guy who, you know, people's lives were transformed on airplanes. I'm the guy who gets on the plane and I put my headphones on and I go to sleep as fast as I can. Like, that's me on a plane. If I can even remember going on a plane, it was so long ago. I find telling my friends and family about Jesus really hard. Like, I wish I didn't. I wish I was naturally the guy who everybody flocked to to learn about Jesus. I find it hard. And I imagine that for a lot of us, that's our story. We live in this space that's postmodern, it's post-Christian, it's different. And so how do we tell people about Jesus? Well, I just want to suggest firstly that in order to tell people about Jesus, we've got to learn the context we speak Jesus into has changed a lot over the last 50 years. Um, I'm going to dazzle you now with possibly the most creative and artistic diagrams that you've ever seen. Um, if you work for Pixar or Disney, feel free to hit me up after this talk and I'll um, talk about some subcontracting work. This is a bad joke, by the way. So if you uh, went back to the 1960s, you would have seen this picture of how faith uh, worked. There it goes up on your screen. So in the 1960s, people would have looked at Christian faith and they'd have probably said, oh yeah, faith is popular. Jesus, people were inquisitive about Jesus. They looked at the church with some sense of respect. They thought it was relevant. They assumed that the truth was, truth was found in Jesus and that Jesus was a central figure to not just church, but also a central figure to life. 
And so in that context, when we thought, think about like how do people come to faith, then what we realized is that all people really needed was to take the truth that they instinctively believed that was out there and make it a personal one, to come to that personal moment of conviction of sins and brokenness so that they could receive the good news of Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And so conviction was the big deal, right? So um, we had Billy Graham, we had the four spiritual laws, we had revival meetings, we had street and beach missions where people just needed to encounter Jesus, have that moment of salvation, and then they were ready to go. But then if you go through to like the 1980s or maybe 1980 to 2000, we started to see a really big shift in how evangelism and sharing faith worked. Like on one hand, Jesus was still popular. The church was still really popular. People were inquisitive about faith. They were inquisitive about what it looked like to like know about God and churches, pastors, people like myself had a lot of respect within the communities. But on the other side, there was this growing sense that actually, well, hold on a minute, like church, pews, organs, like all the stuff that we've experienced, it doesn't seem quite so fun as it once was. It actually feels a bit boring. Maybe it doesn't feel quite so relevant to the increasing technology and all the stuff that we've got going on in the life. And actually, we've got some major doubts. Like we actually want to know, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he really walk on water? Did those things actually happen? Surely those things didn't happen. And why is Jesus God? You know, how can Jesus be God if, you know, Muhammad or Buddha or anybody else can't be God? What makes Jesus so special? And so within that context, it wasn't enough just to say, oh, we're going to have a moment of conviction. Actually, we needed more than that story. And so we had proof to go with conviction. So we we had like great books like The Case for Christ. We had Bible studies. We had contemporary seeker-sensitive services where we invited all these people to come to our churches and we said, hey, you should probably come and check us out so that we can present truth to you so that then you'll know what's true. And on top of what's true, then we can tell you about this moment of conviction that you need to become a Christian. And it worked really well for a while. But if you fast forward to today, 2018 maybe through to 2020 so far, we're now in a totally different landscape. Faith is totally different because the nature of truth, the nature of everything has changed. If you look now, we live in a society where everything is about experience. We're in an experiential situation. The church is not a respected reality, like me when I went to seminary. Suddenly, people are disrespectful towards the church. They don't think it's part of the answer. Actually, in many cases, and we've seen it this year as well in COVID, we've seen it in the politics, we've seen it in every area, the church is actually seen often as part of the problem and not the solution. People have rejected the church and are much more likely to look elsewhere. They're much more likely to look outwards, look out to the internet or look out to new ageism or something else when they're looking for truth. The the church is seen as irrelevant and irrelevant partly because people are more interested in having self-discovery, right? I want to know what's true for me. What's true for you might not be the same as what's true for me and you telling me what's true doesn't help me because I need to discover for myself what works in my my life. In fact, it kind of is part of a bigger question. It's like, well, what even is true anymore? Is truth totally relative? And what's the outcome of all that? Well, in many cases, there's a lot of hatred towards the church. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of pain towards organized religion because of in terms when people have been hurt and broken and upset about what the church has represented. This feels heavy, right? But that's kind of the culture we find ourselves in. 
A recent Barna study uh, said that 48% of Americans are now consider themselves to be post-Christian. Like they used to love Jesus, they lo- used to go to church, but actually they've found brokenness. They're not happy about what the, ch- the church has been, and so they are now post-beyond Christianity. Um, 55% of those who are within the church actually believe that good works are what you need to get right with God, which is, as we know, not really the gospel at all anyway. And 53% of people have said, basically, they're never going to go to church when they have the big questions of life, the universe, and everything. Those are scary stats, just to be really honest. And of course, that doesn't even take into consideration of COVID-19 and what do you do when there's massive fires going up on the hillsides or people are dying or people have lost jobs. You know, the context in which we share faith is so different, isn't it, to what it was. Now, I don't share that just to make you feel bad and run like far away. But I share that to kind of just reassure you that if you find telling your friends, your neighbors, your family about Jesus hard, like, don't worry. It is different to what it used to be. So what do we do? Like, what do we do? How do we share faith? Well, if the context has changed, if we're now in a space where people want to experience something real, where they want to be accepted, where they want to be loved, where they want their view to be respected and allowed, if they want to be part of something relational, then actually the tool that we use to share faith has to change radically from what we had in the past. We've got to provide space for people to explore faith. We've got to provide space for people to ask questions. Space for people to be able to share their views where they don't feel manipulated, where they don't feel pressurized. Now, you probably won't be surprised when I tell you that there is a tool out there which we have found here in LA and across the world, which is working brilliantly well to help people find faith in this context. And it's Alpha. Now, I'm not selling Alpha, but, but there is a reason why Alpha works so well at the moment. Now, as Greg said a minute ago, you know, Alpha is, it's eight evenings. You come in Zoom, on Zoom. There is a moment to, to build friendships, to build relationships, to build lifelong uh, uh, communities. But at the same time, it's also a moment of truth. We present a great video each week, and you just saw some clips from some of the videos of Francis Collins and Bear Grylls and Nikki Gumbel and those kind of cool people sharing some truth. But, but more than that, once the video is done, we just give people 45 minutes to share their questions, to share their feelings, to share how they believe things are. And when they've shared them, we don't then turn around and go, okay, that's a nice idea, but no, I don't think we're really aliens or you know what it means. Actually, we train our leaders, as we've just been doing this week, never to correct, never to argue with someone, always to provide the safest and highest level of respect for every person who comes on Alpha. Now, for the hardcore evangelist amongst us, we probably go like, that doesn't sound right. That's not how you tell someone about Jesus. Except that, of course, what do we find? When you invite the Holy Spirit to come, when you provide people the opportunity to explore faith, guess what they find? They find Jesus. They find hope. They find the real deal. Hundreds, if not thousands, of people have gone through Alpha now here in LA over the last few years. And so many have been baptized. So many have come to a place of personal salvation. Paul says, I become a Jew to the Jews. I become a Gentile to the Gentiles. I become weak to the weak. I become strong to the strong. And that might sound a bit fake, but what he means is this. We need to provide a place that is safe where we go and meet people on their terms, 
where we go and meet people and build a bridge to the gospel by reaching out to people. And as we do that, just like Paul, we find that people are hungry and desperate for the real thing. And the final great thing about Alpha is that it means you don't have to have all the answers. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had those like, nightmares where you're like, okay, I've got to get my elevator pitch just right so when I get an opportunity and my neighbor's in, like, within like, six feet or just about exactly six feet from me, I can then shout the gospel at them really quickly and they'll believe the truth. Like, that's super stressful, right? Well, the great thing about Alpha is you don't have to do any of that. All you've got to do is invite somebody that you know to come to Alpha. So how do we, as I finish, invite people to come on Alpha? Well, here's a few things. The first thing is we always have to pray. We always have to pray. We recognize that anything to do with the Christian faith is ultimately a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual reality. You don't have the ability to change someone's life and I don't have the ability to change someone's life. But over these last weeks, at two minutes past 11, we've been setting an alarm. We've been writing down three friends. And what we've been praying is that God would provide an opportunity for us to be able to invite our friends to Alpha. But also, we've been getting ready to act, to ask people. You know, all the the data that we have says that no one will come on Alpha if you just put a great Instagram advert out there or if you just make a nice video. Now, those are helpful tools along the way, but really there's only one way that people come to Alpha, and that's because somebody made a personal recommendation. It's because somebody that they know or they trusted, someone that they loved, said, would you come with me over the next eight weeks to Alpha? And so we wanna encourage you as I close to really take seriously that invitation to come along and to invite friends to Alpha. Now, it might be that even after you do all this, your friends aren't quite ready uh, to share, to come on Alpha. But it might just be that you want to come on Alpha yourself, just so that that you can experience it. So when you get to January and we run it again, and hopefully in person or whatever it turns out to be, you're ready to say to your neighbor, hey, do you know what? It was great. And I loved it. And you would really love it too. But we do want to encourage you to do that. And it might be that people just say no this first time. And if they do, it's okay for people to say no the first time. You might have seen this final amazing diagram that I didn't make, but this uh, this is called the angle scale. Um, this angle scale shows how people often move towards faith in Jesus. If you see at the bottom, you've got like number one, like someone who's got no understanding of God at all. And at the very top, you've got someone who's at level 15 where they're starting to share their faith with other people. And at number 10, you've got when someone actually becomes a Christian for themselves. Now, when you ask your neighbor to come on Alpha, it might be that they're currently at number one or at number two. And actually, like by inviting them, all you've done is you've just kind of moved them up a little bit. Maybe you've moved them up so that they now got some contact with a Christian or they're interested in Jesus for the first time. It might be that your invitation to Alpha is still far from them coming on Alpha but it helps them to move along the journey. Equally, it might be that for you, you're currently kind of at number 10 and coming on Alpha will help you move up to like number 11 where you're gaining confidence, where you're answering questions, where you're experiencing life transformation. And so wherever you are and wherever your friends are, I wanna encourage you that I think Alpha is a great tool for you. But I recognize it's hard. I recognize it's a spiritual battle. I recognize that we're all busy. We're all battling with COVID, with fires, with everything else. And so as I finish, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I don't want you to be convinced that I told you to come on Alpha and that's why you should come. I want you to hear from God for yourself. And so if you would, would you just pray with me for a moment?
Father, we thank you that ultimately we have found in you something that has transformed our lives. And we can forget that. We can lose that in the midst of the stresses and strains of life. But thank you that before anything else, you saved us, you rescued us. You gave us hope and a future. And so Lord Jesus, as we even begin to think about our friends, the people that we know and love who don't know you, we ask Holy Spirit that you would just come. You would come and meet us where we are right now. Just as you're there, you, you might want to put your hands out just by a way of saying, Holy Spirit, come and, come and help me. Come and meet me in this. Lord, wherever, even in our own hearts, in our own lives, we, we have blockages, we have barriers between like sharing faith with other people, with even talking about what we believe. We just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and remove that, that big object in the middle of our life that's blocking, blocking us sharing our stories with others. Come, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, would you put within us a huge joy, a joy that can only come from you, a joy that's not based on how good today went, but a joy that comes from an eternal God who stepped down to transform our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we ask that this coming week, you would provide opportunities for us to speak of who you are. Opportunities to speak out about love, to make recommendations about church, about Alpha, to those that we know and love. But we ask that you would help us because we feel so weak. We feel so incapable. And so often we don't feel like we have the words, but would you help us to have the words? So Holy Spirit, come and work in our lives. And even now as we worship you, would you continue to stir us up, set us free, transplant hope in place of fear, new life in place of darkness. Build your kingdom, we pray, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship God, but if you've got a situation, you've got a moment, you feel like God's speaking to you, don't hesitate to use the chat function to go on the website and you can get on the Zoom prayer link and the guys would love to pray with you. Let's worship God together.